the brain and body can get stuck on high alert, like a house alarm that's gone rogue. The house alarm isn't work anymore. And the alarm gets tripped by the smallest stimuli, like a cat walking near the house, or maybe there's a branch that brushes up against the window. And now all of a sudden your house alarm is going off. When the brain remains in high alert like that, it changes the structure and function of neural connections in the limbic area of the brain and neural pathways that are responsible for threat evaluation and responses to threat become deeply established and neurons can actually become sensitized, meaning that they will fire with little or no stimulus. So it affects our ability to rest and digest and also, you know, our overall health and well-being. I'm Dr. Seth Osgood, the founder of Grassroots Functional Medicine. After personally struggling for years upon years with chronic health issues that traditional medicine and pharmaceuticals could not resolve, I finally found relief in true healing through a functional medicine approach. Since then, I've dedicated my life to helping patients around the world transform their health by getting to the root cause of symptoms and restoring their body's natural ability to heal. This experience has shown me that a true state of wellness often requires an integrated approach that brings in multiple disciplines and modalities. In this podcast, I will interview a variety of practitioners and health professionals to educate and empower you on the full spectrum of tools that are available to reclaim your health and vitality. If you are struggling with health challenges and you are not getting the answers or results you feel you deserve, or you simply want to optimize your health and take a proactive approach to wellness, this podcast is for you. And if you like the show and find it helpful, be sure to tell a friend, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to your podcast. So let's get started. Hey guys, welcome back to another season of the Grassroots Functional Medicine Podcast. We are starting off the season with a bang. Today we are joined with Annie Hopper. Annie Hopper is a limbic system rehabilitation specialist and the founder of a dynamic neural retraining system, also known as DNRS. DNRS is a neuroplasticity-based treatment method to decrease symptoms involved with multiple chemical sensitivity, chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, long COVID, and a whole host of other chronic illnesses. Annie provides vital groundbreaking information on the link between trauma, the brain, and chronic illness, as well as how neuroplasticity may hold the key to healing for so many people. Before developing DNRS, Annie was debilitated by chronic illness and sensitivities. She achieved full recovery from these unexplained illnesses by implementing her own daily program of brain-based rehabilitation, which focused on rewiring faulty neural pathways in the brain. And this is the program known as DNRS. She is the author of the book, Wired for Healing, Remapping the Brain to Recover from Chronic and Mysterious Illness, and an international speaker. I am a firm believer that limbic system impairment is at the root of many different illnesses, and I have seen Annie's program transform the lives of so many people when all options have failed. So make sure you listen to this episode until the very end, and please share it with anyone who might benefit. Let's dive in and get started. Well, hi, Annie. Thank you so much for joining me on the Grassroots Functional Medicine Podcast. I have been looking forward to this episode, and I'm just... Uh, really anxious to to pick your brain and learn about all the amazing things that you're doing to help people get back to an optimal state of wellness. Oh, thanks, Seth, for inviting me to speak with you. And it's so nice to meet you. Absolutely. Well, I would love just to 
jump into it and ask you a little bit about your background. I know you got a pretty amazing story that led you to do what you're doing today. And if you don't mind just sharing that with our listeners, I'd really appreciate it. Yeah, sure. Well, you know, like a lot of people, it was my personal suffering that was the entryway for me into the world of brain retraining and neuroplasticity. And it started back in 2004. And at the time, I was a busy counselor and a journalist, and I was thriving in my life. But when I look back at it, you know, there were some, definitely I had some traumas that led to the perfect storm for developing limbic system impairment. So I had some exposure to toxins in in Kelowna, where I was working at the time. There was a big wildfire when I first moved there. So lots of fire smoke. And I also worked in an office that had mold and my office was actually located right next door to the janitor supply room where they had all the industrial cleaners for the the entire office. So I was, you know, being exposed to that all the time. And I had a lack of ventilation in my office. And also, even prior to that, I had a cervical injury. I was in a car accident and it left me with a cervical injury or kind of like whiplash injury, but it manifested like almost like Parkinson's to a degree. I had a neurological shake in my neck for quite a few months. And when I look back at, you know, what else could be triggering limbic system impairment, and it could be any form of trauma, really. I also grew up in a home with an alcoholic father. So, you know, looking at childhood trauma and, you know, looking at how the protective circuits of my brain might have been firing a little bit more rapidly than someone else's. So when I start in 2004, that's really when I started to notice symptoms. It was after working in that office building that was not healthy. And it started with chronic joint and muscle pain. And then I started to get muscle twitching and headaches, insomnia and anxiety. And then I developed this really weird sense of smell. All I can say is like, it was a, a just a very distorted and heightened sense of smell. So I developed severe sensitivities to scented products. And I didn't know that it was my sense of smell that was changing. I was, you know, my favorite saying was that stinks. Can't you smell that? And I was <laughs> shocked. I was shocked that other people couldn't smell the same thing that I was smelling. So it, the sensitivity heightened so much that it became literally impossible to navigate in the world. Like I, I couldn't be around people that had laundry detergent that, you know, the tide or the bounce or the whatever, or the, you know, 10,000 personal hygiene products that they were using. So I really, it really led to a lot of isolation and avoidance just to prevent from getting sick. So you can imagine during this course of time, I saw a lot of doctors, I saw a lot of specialists, I saw a lot of healthcare providers, I saw a lot of everything that you can imagine. And I was a very obedient patient. I did whatever they recommended. And I'm sure I detoxed to Mars and back 10,000 times. And sometimes some of the treatments would work momentarily, but then I'd always end up slingshotting back into the cycle of chronic illness. And not only was I ill, but I was even getting worse. Then I developed EMF sensitivities, and that's when things really took a turn for the worse. I I actually ended up having to leave my home and ended up camping and living on a broken down houseboat for quite some time. But, you know, 
even prior to this, I knew that there had to be something wrong with my brain. And that was just sort of a process of deductive reasoning, mostly, and also recognizing that my cognitive function was impaired. So I had this sense that my brain was not filtering information anymore in an appropriate way. And I knew that because of my sense of smell. And it really didn't make any sense to me that I could not walk into the laundry detergent aisle of the grocery store without having very severe and debilitating symptoms while someone else could go to grocery shopping and that wouldn't affect them at all. And I thought, okay, I get it. You know, I started to do a lot of research, of course, on what I was reacting to. And, you know, that opened the door to becoming environmentally aware. That's when I definitely learned how to live from an environmentally aware platform. But it still didn't make sense to me that this, I would have such a severe reaction to things that it didn't make sense, you know, with the chronic pain and the anxiety and the insomnia and so many other symptoms that I was having. So I started to really investigate what was happening in the brain. And that the first area that I looked at was the area of the brain that was responsible for sense of smell, because that just made common sense to me. So this led me to researching the limbic system and which is the area of the brain that's responsible for sense of smell. And I also found a lot of brain research that confirmed that the common denominator in many com- complex and chronic illnesses like chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia and M- MCS was this overactivation of brain circuits in the limbic system. And, you know, when I look at what my influences were, you know, the catalyst for really understanding and exploring neuroplasticity as a possible solution came through reading the book, The Brain That Changes Itself by Dr. Norman Doidge, who's a Canadian yeah. psych- psychiatrist. And my world absolutely changed with understanding that my brain was not fixed in function and that I actually had agency to change the structure and function of my brain through my thought patterns, my emotional patterns, and my behavioral patterns. And it was literally mind-blowing. And you know, I looked at the work of the people that he was featuring in the book, like Dr. R.S. Ramachandran, who is working with how imagination could actually change brain structure and function in his work with phantom limb pain. Or Dr. Pascalioni, who was really exploring the power of thought and how thinking alone can change the structure of the brain. Or Dr. Edward Taub, and he was really looking at constraint-induced therapy, which was a form of rehabilitation for stroke patients, where a repetition of exercises would actually help to strengthen neural pathways, alternate neural pathways in the brain. And looking at the work of Dr. Jeffrey Schwartz, who was working with patients who suffered from OCD, and how he connected brain functions brain function to symptoms of illness and through awareness and distraction, he was able to help patients decrease symptoms. So I knew I didn't have OCD. It was more of something that was affecting my immune system as well and triggering my immune system. But I really worked at, you know, looking at how I could change that system in my brain. And I knew that it was tied to my emotional state too. So My whole, you know, my background and my story and combining all of the skill set that I already had and learning about neuroplasticity led me to the development of the program and and the science behind the program. And my whole journey is outlined in the book that I wrote in 2014. It's called Wired for Healing, 
remapping the brain to recover from chronic and mysterious illnesses. So if people are interested more about the story and the development of the program, they can definitely read that book. That's incredible. So, so I, I mean, just it's it's interesting. You know, that was you said what two thousand four when you started dealing with all of that stuff, and yeah. to, to you know really fast forward to present day, and and what a lot of and we'll talk a little bit about this later, but like a lot of those symptoms people are experiencing, you know, now after dealing with COVID, whether it's affecting their smell or affecting their their sense of their surroundings, causing all these sensitivities. So that that's just really interesting. What were some of the labels? I know you saw a lot of doctors before really figuring this out. What were some of the labels that were thrown at you personally when you were dealing with all of these crazy symptoms? Yeah, definitely. Well, multiple chemical sensitivities. It took a while to actually get that diagnosis. I think the first diagnosis probably would have been anxiety, <laughs> yeah. maybe dep- maybe depression. What were some of the other ones? Eventual multiple chemical sensitivity, fibromyalgia, mm-hmm. electric hypersensitivity syndrome, toxic overload syndrome. Yeah, I would say those were the basic diagnoses at that time. Yeah. Wow. And then you just you kept fighting you get, until you figured it out, which is awesome. Well, let's dive into the limbic system. And you mentioned limbic system impairment. So what for our listeners who really don't haven't heard of that term, what is limbic system impairment? And then how does it compare compare to neuroplasticity? Sure, great question. Well, first, before we talk about limbic system impairment, we'll talk about what what the limbic system does. And even prior to that, let's just talk about the term neuroplasticity. So neuroplasticity, the word itself just means the brain has the ability to change. So the brain is changeable. That's why they come up with the word plastic, meaning changeable. But this simply means that our brains change and adapt to our life experiences. And sometimes the brain changes in positive ways, and other times it changes in negative ones. So if we look at the basic function of the limbic system, it's a complex set of structures in the midbrain that is associated with emotion, learning, memory, threat evaluation, the body's stress response and sense of smell. And under stress or during trauma, and that trauma could be viral, it could be bacterial, it could be emotional, or it could be some kind of toxic exposure to chemicals or mold or EMF. The brain can get stuck in a protective pattern response, even when the threat is no longer present. The brain and body can get stuck on high alert, like a house alarm that's gone rogue. The house alarm isn't working any, anymore. And the alarm gets tripped by the smallest stimuli, like a cat walking near the house, or maybe there's a branch from a tree that brushes up against the window. And now all of a sudden your house alarm is going off. So when the brain remains in high alert like that, it changes the structure and function of neural connections in the limbic area of the brain. And neural pathways that are responsible for threat evaluation and responses to threat become deeply established and neurons can actually become sensitized, meaning that they will fire with little or no stimulus. Mm-hmm. So when this, when this happens, we release stress hormones that affect the autonomic nervous system, which is our automatic body functions. It affects the immune system, which protects us against disease. And the endocrine system, which is our hormone production. So it affects our ability to rest and digest and the accuracy of messages being sent or the threat perception of messages that are being sent to the brain. It also affects our sensory perception and a list of other things and also, you know, our overall health and well-being. 
Wow. So, I mean, again, connecting to, to almost everything in the body and you can see how when it gets impaired, you know, people get these labels and if they're not addressing that underlying cause, they're going to be stuck. You know, I know you mentioned some of these infections and we, we see that a lot in practice, right? We see chronic Lyme or tick-borne illness, especially in the New England area or long COVID and you hit them with antibiotics or antimicrobials and various other treatments. And, you know, they may improve a little bit or they may get better for a short period of time, but there's that certain subset of people who just, you know, kind of, you know, fall back into those old patterns and just makes a lot of sense with what you're explaining with the limbic system. Yeah. And it's a, it's a, it's an unconscious protective response. It's not like they're causing it. It's just that the brain is stuck there. It's not that, you know, they're thinking or they're, they're, you know, their thought patterns are causing that. It's the trauma itself of the virus or bacteria that actually got the brain stuck in that position to begin with. But, you know, the great news is that while we know that the brain has been changed through trauma and, you know, we can use neuroplasticity in a good way to get the brain out of that trauma response. That's awesome. Well, mm -hmm. so how would somebody know if, if this was an issue? How would they know if their limbic system was impaired or not not working function uh, properly? What were some of the signs that that's going on? I know you've obviously mentioned some, but just to kind of hone in on that, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. Well, there's so many, <laughs> as you said, <laughs> because it just can affect so many different systems of the body, Seth. But uh, you know, symptoms can vary from person to person and can express as seemingly unrelated physical symptoms, emotional symptoms, and psychological symptoms. I mean, I think usually what drives us is the physical symptoms that drives us to seek help, but we might not actually notice the psychological or the emotional symptoms that are also associated with limbic system impairment. But let's look at some of the physical symptoms first. So of course, we notice changes in autonomic nervous system function. So changes in automatic functions like heart rate, breathing or digestion. Other people might report brain fog. That's a very, very common symptom. Pain or become fatigued more easily and then possibly develop a number of sensitivities such as sensitivities to smells, to light, to sound, to touch or to food. Symptoms could also look like headaches or cognitive challenges or chronic inflammation and detoxification issues. And then when we look at the emotional symptoms, it could express as an overreaction to emotional stimuli. So maybe you go into fits of rage or anger when they're not actually appropriate. Or maybe you might have emotional reactions to physical exposures. So that used to happen to me. If I was exposed to some kind of chemical, I'd be sobbing. And not necessarily because I was sad or upset. It was actually a physiological reaction to that exposure. And it was an emotional reaction to that exposure. So it was really, it became evident for me very clearly that our emotions were directly tied into the limbic system and how the brain was filtering information. The other thing, you know, emotionally, it could look like depression or feelings of hopelessness or fear caught in a fear loop. It can also affect emotions in the sense that some people have a lack of affect, meaning they don't actually have the capacity to feel or the opposite end of that is they could have extreme mood swings. 
One thing that's really common too is the inability to access positive emotions. And that one's kind of interesting because, and, and it makes sense because if your brain and body are stuck in a fight, fight, or freeze response, as they are with limbic system impairment, then going to feelings of joy or happiness are actually not needed for survival. So when you're stuck in that trauma state, it feels really incongruous to try to think of anything that might be joyful or positive in any way. We can also have suicidal ideation or an exaggerated negativity bias. And I'll talk to that one a little bit. So we all have a natural built-in negativity bias, and it just means it's it's built in for protective reasons. It just means that we'll notice things that are going wrong before we notice things are going right. And again, it's a pr- protective mechanism from old caveman days. So it means that, you know, it takes a little bit more extra effort to actually notice what's going right. But we notice with limbic system impairment that negativity bias is actually quite magnified. So we want to really become aware of any kind of intruding negative thoughts that we might have or how we perceive the world. Another symptom is a preoccupation with real or perceived threats. So that's really common. Behavioral symptoms that are... uh associated with limbic system impairment are really more about avoidance and isolation. So those are basically, you know, if you had to really bottom line it, you know, avoidance and isolation is a lot of, or a lot of the behaviors around limbic system impairment. Just brings to light all of these patients that we see in the clinic who have been through so much trauma just because of their medical experience, right? They've been like you, you did. I mean, you went to all yeah. these doctors, you're not getting clear cut answers. You know, a lot of patients are getting no- ignored or just being told it's in their head. So it, it really, it's hard for them to think of anything positive. I mean, when, once they get in that rut, but you know, I mean, that's what we see is when, once they can really think in a, a different way, or once their brain starts functioning in a way that is focusing more so on positive outcomes as opposed to all the negative they've been through. It's just, it's just, you see that light in their eyes and you see their healing journey just accelerate. And this is, it's really rewarding to see. And that's, that's what I love about what you're doing in your program. But I wanted to ask real quick, I know you initially, you know, because of your own health issues, started focusing your program DNRS, which we'll talk about here in a minute on like the, the chemical sensitivities and in the beginning, when I started utilizing, we used to, we always thought of it for like POTS and some of those autonomic issues that you that you mentioned. But what you know, so if you, do you mind touching on like where you started some of the diseases or the symptoms that really stood out in the beginning and really how that's progressed? Because I know, as you just mentioned, now it's used, you can use it successfully for a whole host of different problems. Yeah, well, it, it's interesting that you should mention that. Seth, because in the beginning, it was really challenging for me because I knew that was a ma- it was actually a maladaptive stress response and that my brain was stuck in this trauma response, right? So I knew that that's what was happening and I knew that it would probably help a lot of different conditions. However, you have to start where people recognize their condition, right? right. If I said to you, well, actually, you have limbic system impairment and your stress <laughs> response is not working functionally. You'd be like, huh? You know, like, yeah, 
the people didn't understand that language. So I'm like, okay, well, I know that it works for chemical sensitivities. I know that it works for electric hypersensitivity syndrome. I know that it works for chronic pain. I know that it works for depression. I know that it works for anxiety and it, it works for a whole number and chronic fatigue syndrome. Like those were mm-hmm. some of the ones from the very beginning. But now we know that it works for, you know, long COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, chronic fatigue syndrome, POTS, as you already mentioned, chronic inflammatory response syndrome, chronic pain, fibromyalgia, chronic Lyme disease, mast cell activation syndrome, <laughs> chronic inflammatory response syndrome, again, multiple chemical sensitivities, food sensitivities, PTSD, depression, anxiety, and so much more. Like right. that's one of the most common questions is, will the program work for me? <laughs> And, you know, I, I just say, please go to our self-assessment survey on the homepage of the w- website. And if you answer yes to five or more of those questions, then, you know, we can assume that you might have limbic system impairment and that retraining your limbic system might be helpful for you. But again, it's because it affects almost every system of the body, I'm thinking, well, I'm not really sure what illness it wouldn't help for. So yeah, <laughs> that, that's, yeah that's great. Yeah. Well, talk to me a little bit about DNRS. So so do you mind just, ex- I know we haven't really jumped into that yet. So what sure. is this this amazing program that's helpful for, for so many people? What is DNRS? Well, it stands for the Dynamic Neural Retraining System. And when I developed the program, I know it's a mouthful. And then it actually, it was other other people that just started calling it DNRS. I was like, what's DNRS? I'm like, oh, DNRS. Yes, that makes sense. So that's the dynamic neural retraining system. So basically what it is, is it's, it's a drug-free, self-directed neural rehabilitation program that uses the principles of neuroplasticity to help reverse limbic system impairment. And sometimes that's known as central sensitization syndrome, and it helps to regulate a maladapted stress response that's involved in many complex and chronic illnesses. And you know, there are various components of the program. And, you know, first of all, people can, they can have access, get access to the program through our online educational videos. So we have a 12 hour educational video program that teaches you everything that you need to do to start retraining your limbic system. But in, I think we need to understand that in order for you to start rewiring your limbic system, we need to provide the brain with a context of safety so that it can unlock from survival and protective states. So we do that by, by providing the science between how brain function is involved in your conditions. So you can, you know, understand the science and theory behind it and how to recognize and change patterns that are associated with limbic system impairment. So your thought, thought patterns, emotional patterns or behavioral patterns. We also teach people a very specific guided visualization technique that's uh, intended to cool off the threat responses in the brain and change your neurochemistry. There's also a desensitization technique that we call incremental training, which changes the brain's association with stimuli, so you're not as reactive to stimuli, and also the importance of elevating your emotional state to change the brain's patterned threat associations. But I do have to say, retraining your limbic system is an inside job. We can't actually do it for you. We can show you how to do it, 
and we can support you every step of the way, but it's something that takes dedication and commitment. And we recommend that our clients practice for a minimum of six months on a daily basis to strengthen new neural pathways in the brain. And again, we have a, a large team that's here to help people every step of the way. We have our global community forum, which is an online private group that people who purchase a program have free access to. And that's, I think we have, as of January, we have over 13,500 members from all around the world. And wow. they're on the forum sharing tips for practicing, their victories, you know, how they're training with things. And it's just a really nice, supportive community for rewiring your brain. And you know, one thing that we do ask people to do is not to talk about symptoms that much because the recovery process with limbic system rehabilitation is not, is generally not linear, meaning, you know, you might take a couple of steps forward and then you reach a healing plateau for a while, or it might feel like you're taking a step back, but it's actually not, you know, during those times, your brain is consolidating information and really laying the the groundwork for the changes that are happening, but your symptoms can come and go or ebb and wane or whatever that's that that um, saying is. We ask people not to focus so much on symptoms while they're in the rehabilitation process. I mean, eventually the symptoms will dissipate when those new neural pathways are strong enough and when the maladapted stress response is corrected. But, you know, it can be a little bit of a up and down until you actually get there. So just to be patient with the process and really reach out for help because we have a team of people who have our, our certified DNRS coaches actually have healed and recovered from many complex and chronic health issues through implementing the program. And they've been extensively trained in the method and they know exactly how to help you with every step of the program and how to tailor it specifically to your unique needs in the moment. We also have something that we started offering when we had to pivot away, you know, doing in-person programs <laughs> with COVID, of course, right? We're like, okay, you know, <laughs> let's, let's find a, a way to get to people. And so we designed a class that's called Living DNRS. So after people have gone through the program, what we do is get them to sign up for these group support classes. So up to 20 people are in each class. And again, we have a facilitator that takes the group through process about, you know, how are you implementing the program and what are you doing? And, and together, like with the, we, these groups create a family network together. And it's really interesting to watch people heal as a group together and to get ideas from each other and support from each other. So, you know, it's really, we have a lot of community-based support, which I love. And also we have share a laugh classes, which are about elevating your emotional state. And they're based on laughter yoga exercises, but specifically tailored to people who have limbic system impairment. And uh, yeah, so that's just another way for people to connect through share a laugh classes. So we have a variety of support options for people. And, and that's what I love about it more so than anything is the, just the resources and the community and the support that you give to people because I think that's so important. And as a, as a practitioner, it's just hard to touch base with people every day, right? Or it's hard to see them in the office as much as they need it. And with your program, you can do this all at home. You can do it all online. There's really not a lot of excuses that people can make up to say why they can't do this, right? And uh, yeah. I just love the fact that it's so accessible and that 
I, I, as I mentioned to you in the beginning, before we started the podcast, you know, I've been familiar with the NRS for quite a while. And, uh, you know, we're used to seeing patients in the clinic who have been to multiple doctors and, and, you know, done, you know, multiple therapies and just aren't seeing progress. So we went from, you know, using DNRS as a, as a last ditch effort, like when nothing worked and people weren't feeling well, we would always rely on DNRS to kind of to get get them to a better place. And now, you know, our practice has totally changed to where we've seen so much value from the program that I'm literally recommending it at the first visit for a lot of my patients, just because of the, the you know, this limbic system impairment that just seems to resonate with, with so many people and with what they're dealing with. So it, it's, it's just been absolutely amazing. Do you mind talking a little bit more about just how difficult it is to implement. What are some of the biggest challenges people, you know, will will face when trying to start this program? Mm, it's a really great question. Well, one is that people with limbic system impairment or have these challenges, you know, they're used to having to do things alone, right? So they want to figure it out by themselves and they want to work through it by themselves. And, you know, while it while I I get that habit. It's really just a lot easier if you join a group of people who are doing this and you have somebody who's guiding you. So I think that that would probably be one of the challenges is, you know, don't feel like you have to do this alone. You're not alone. We're here to support you. And you did nothing to cause this. It's not your fault. So we want you to have support in that process. The other challenges, I think, are, you know, the motivation to practice. And again, that's where accountability comes in, right? When you have somebody to be accountable to, or you have a group of people to be accountable to, you are more likely to show up for other people than you might be for yourself. So we can use that to our advantage and say, okay, as a group, we're moving through this. Like, yeah, watch the program on your own, start to, you know, understand the program. And then as soon as you are finished, or, you know, even if you're not fully complete yet, but you have the ideas and you're starting to train, join a group so that we can help you and move, help you move forward. Because you might have some questions about how you want to tailor the program to your unique situation, or there might be some part of it that you don't understand, or you're having questions about, and we can certainly help you with that. So again, you know, finding that motivation to practice and moving past the brain's unconscious resistance to training. And I think this, this <laughs> one is key because yeah. You know, when you're stuck in a flight, fright, or fear response, you are used to creating neurochemicals that will support a stress response. And it unconsciously becomes, becomes addictive to us. Now, when we start to move out of those patterns, your brain, not you as a person, your brain, just on its own, because it's used to working patterns, your brain will can start to like put up a little resistance to change, right? It's like, hey, hang on a second, where are you going? I'm not sure that I can trust this change. So, you know, we, we can start to feel a little bit of internal resistance to actually practicing just because of our brain's unconscious resistance to moving out of that fight, fight or fear state. And the other challenge, I think, which I already spoke to is understanding that recovery itself might not be a linear process. So, yeah. and that's okay. So just understanding that and trusting the process, basically, the, those are the the main challenges that I see. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And, you know, and, and again, another thing that I love about the program is, you know, is that it's drug free, right? There's, there's no side effects of this. So the only side effect that I have seen is, you know, people risking the fact that they're going to get better. <laughs> and it's just great. I mean, and the other thing I wanted to comment on, 
that maybe you can give some insight to is I have seen, you know, because I've, I've really followed you for a while, there are other programs that are coming out now that are trying to kind of make shortcuts. You know, I've seen that a little bit where people are looking at this and they're saying, oh, but this one's only one. I only need to do this one day a week. And those people just don't seem to do as well, you know, in, in my experience. So, I, I mean, I know it's a it's a time commitment, right? Are they dedicating yeah. about an hour a day, right? To, yep. to the but, but really, I mean, the people who give it that that hour and are consistent with it, in my experience, do so much better than than the ones who are trying to really make make shortcuts. And a lot of people have been sick for so long, years and years, you know, an hour a day is nothing compared to what they've been through. Yeah. Yeah. And I can speak a little bit more to that, Seth, in terms of uh, the commitment. Yes, we say one hour a day and that can be chunked up. And that's specifically just talking about the visualization portion of it. And there are mm-hmm. other things to keep in mind throughout the day for sure. But that one hour can be chunked into four sections of 15 minutes. And okay. if people find that like too much to begin with, then, you know, it's okay. Start where you're at, but start, right? Yeah. So yeah. some effort is better than no effort at all. So you might find that once you start, it's kind of like that five minute takeoff rule. You know, I don't want to clean my bedroom, but if I do it for five minutes, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm in it. And then I'm like, oh, okay, it's, it's not bad. Or even any form of exercise. You know, I don't want to work out on the elliptical trainer. I don't want to whatever, whatever, whatever. But if I give it five minutes, then, you know, generally speaking, I'm going to continue. So, you know, use that five minute takeoff rule. If after five minutes, you're still not motivated, it's okay. You can try again, right? right. Try again at a different time. So, over the years, what I've, what we've learned as a team is that it's better for people to start where they're at and do what they can rather mm-hmm. than setting themselves up for perfectionistic tendencies or perfectionistic yeah. expectations, right? So do what you can and you'll, you'll notice over time that you will be able to do more and more. The other part that I wanted to talk about is, you know, what we recommend is for people to practice for a minimum of six months. And that's just to lay that groundwork for those new neural pathways to really, really solidify and create that foundation. And for some people, you know what, they'll start to feel better. I mean, we've had people start to feel better within days. And then we've had people, you know, notice changes in a couple of weeks and notice big changes within three months. And for other people, it's going to take longer. And what we always recommend is a minimum of six months, six months. And that's okay. You know, like you said, for a lot of people, they've been sick for years. So whatever time and effort that you put into this is absolutely going to pay off. And you know, what it also teaches us is to be resilient for the rest of our lives. This isn't just a one-time thing, you know, and you're done. You have these tools for life. So anytime mm-hmm. that there are stressful times in your life that come up or you feel like, oh, you know, my my nervous system isn't quite working as well as I'd like it to, or you start getting symptoms of something, you can always have these tools to come back to. Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. And so... And I think, you know, just, I just to mention, because I know you've said this, I mean, I, th- I think the, the coaching is key. And, and that's my favorite, one of my favorite parts about your program as well is the fact that you make that accessible, just using it and seeing how people have done. I mean, it, when they invest in that coach, they're, they feel like they just, they get better so much faster. I mean, they, they can do it on their own. And some people like to do that and it works, but man, that, that coaching is just such a great resource that I always try to recommend to people from the very beginning because j- they just seem to accelerate the results. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I'd like to, you know, plug our certified DNRS coaches too, because we have a team of coaches on our team. I know that there are other people kind of popping up out of the woodwork. You know, I'm a yeah. neuroplasticity <laughs> coach. I'm an sure, sure. coach. But, you know, I think you really want to work with people that have been immersed in this method and know yeah. this method inside out and can help you with the various aspects of the program. And one in particular, you know, people talk about, you know, one of the, um, pillars of the program is about applying incremental training. And you want someone who's really schooled at applying incremental training for your specific conditions. So again, I would recommend really going with our certified DNRS coaches for that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And mm -hmm. so we, I know you had a big rollout recently with Mm -hmm. DNRS 2.0. So can you tell us a little bit more about what that is and how it's different from the original program? Sure, absolutely. So after about 12 years or more, actually, of teaching the program, we we took our clients' feedback, well, with their feedback in mind, and we streamlined the program into a format that's easier to digest, to follow, and implement. And the actual practice is the same, but the edu educational materials around it are, are more robust, and the teaching platform is different. So we've also added more examples of how someone might apply incremental training for their condition. And also, we have various different people talking about the importance of each pillar of recovery and in their personal experience for and understanding their condition and looking at how to implement the program in a really successful way. So it's a really nice, rounded way of learning the program and applying the program. And it's really well laid out. So I'd say, you know, the content is not that much different, but the way that it's actually delivered is very different. Well, that's great. That's great. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to, uh, I've been getting great feedback from patients on it too. So that's uh, just, it, it, I'm glad that you did that. And I Thank would you. love to, I know you, you've had a, a, you know, a lot probably going on with long COVID, do you mind talking a little bit about that? I mean, we we see that. And, and this is, again, one of the first go-tos we utilize when people are, are dealing with those symptoms. Can you talk a little bit more about your theory behind, you know, the, the long COVID and, and how DNR, DNRS is playing a part? Sure. Well, we know that autonomic nervous system dysfunction is involved with long COVID for sure. And limbic system impairment, absolutely. And we've seen a lot of long COVID recovery stories come in. And it makes sense to me that the limbic system, limbic system impairment is related to long COVID. And there's some brain studies. Actually, there was a, a brain study that came out of the UK. It was a UK biobank. And what they had done, it's interesting. They were doing brain scans with people with, this is prior to COVID. They were doing brain scans with people from the general public just to see how the brain was functioning. And I, I'm not really sure how many they did, maybe thousands. And then after COVID, and when people started to develop long COVID, they had a number of people come back in for a second scan to see how their brain changed with long COVID. And what they recognized, I think the study that they put out, it was 401 patients that were scanned where they took their baseline scan and their long COVID scan and looked at, okay, what are the changes that are taking place? And it was changes in the limbic system, not surprisingly, that were taking place. But I'll just tell you about some of the recovery stories that we've seen yeah. 
In 2021, I was actually approached by a researcher at the Karolinska Institute in Sweden. They took great interest in DNRS, and she was actually familiar with the program to some degree and knew that it was effective for other conditions. And she said, Annie, do you think this will be helpful for long COVID? And I'm like, absolutely. You know, it has all the hallmark indicators of limbic system impairment. So she had recommended the program to three of their sickest patients that were in the long haul unit of the, the hospital. And two out of three of these patients required a wheelchair. And the third one was mostly bed bound for 15 months. And their stories of recovery actually spread on social media. And I'm going to give you a snapshot of their stories. So the first patient, their baseline was they had an initial sense of loss of smell and taste. They were wheelchair bound. They had severe cognitive and memory issues. And yeah, this person, her testimonials on her website, this is Sandra, and she'd actually lost the ability to write letters because she she just didn't have the cognitive ability anymore. And this is someone with her PhD. So smart, smart person, right? So severe cognitive and memory issues. She was unable to care for herself or her four-year-old daughter. And over time, her when her sense of smell came back, she actually developed severe sensitivity to foods, to drugs, to chemicals, to mold, to paint, any fragrances, and smoke. And after eight weeks of implementing the program, her sense of smell and taste completely returned to normal. She had wow. no evidence of POTS anymore. She had zero food restrictions and She was actually saying, you know, at this point, I'm fully recovered. And within six months, she was back at work full time after being on sick leave for 15 months. So that was, you know, one of one of the people. The second person, her baseline was they had no sense of smell or taste. She was wheelchair bound for nine months. When she stood up, she would go unconscious. And six weeks later, she was walking a mile a day. So that's 1800 meters. Impressive. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm like, I, I always say I'm in the really interesting position of being able to witness what other people would think is our medical miracles. But right. I think when you understand how the brain is being impacted and you understand that this is a brain trauma and that the brain is stuck in the stress response and that you can actively find ways to go in and change how the brain is operating, then once you have that reset, that neurological reset, then the the body is this incredible just I, I want to say piece of machinery, machinery, but it's not. It's like yeah. this incredible system that knows how to heal itself if given the right context and given the right opportunities to do so. So, yeah. So anyway, this same patient after four months, she had no symptoms of POTS. She no longer required a wheelchair. And again, she needed that for nine months. Her sense of smell and taste had returned to normal and brain fog, memory challenges and anxiety had lessened wow. significantly, significantly at that point. So the third person was again, mostly bed bound, had POTS, endothelia dysfunction, abnormal heart rate variability, chest pain, pericarditis. She actually had had an echocardiogram that showed that she had fluid around her heart brain fog and she had a brain scan that suggested hypometabolism in the singular area of the limbic system. 
She had GI symptoms and nausea, nausea and an elevated temperature. After 12 days of training, she started jogging. So, you know, unheard of. And at five weeks, her chest pain was reduced by 80% and an echocardiogram, a second echocardiogram showed that there was no pericardial fluid around her heart anymore. So, you know, it's interesting. And I think that that has to do with the, you know, the limbic system being in control of the vagus nerve and decreasing inflammation and, you know, all sorts of things. But I, I wanted to come back to the fact that although these people had huge transformations really early on, I don't want everybody to think that, yeah, you know, that's going to be my trajectories too, because we don't want to get set up in the trap right. that, you know, <laughs> we think that it's going to take a certain amount of time. And of course, I'm, um, I'm telling you stories that are really great stories and they're really great recovery stories and it might take other people longer and that's okay. You know, it, it, it's okay. And it, I think the, the thing with long COVID too, and what I'm really grateful for is that it's shining a light on so many of these groups of chronic and complex illnesses. So it actually could be a way in for us to start to diagnose and treat illnesses in a completely different way. And uh, I think that that's the, if there is a silver lining, I don't know if it's a silver lining, but certainly an opening into understanding health in a, from a different perspective. So, yeah. I agree 100%. And I love to, and every time, it's just, it's neat to see some of the research that's coming out on long COVID. Cause honestly, like, there, I know there's been multiple studies. And, and if you think about it right, you can connect it to the limbic system. You know, I know there was one that came out and I was excited to see that they were as connecting again, vagal nerve dysfunction and, uh, and long COVID and then several others. And I agree because I, I don't know, you know, how it is for you or what you see, but we see a lot of, a lot of, people, especially medical providers in the conventional world, who really aren't giving people the credit they deserve for what they're dealing with. You know, sometimes we'll see it where they're just getting ignored or they're being diagnosed as having some type of psychiatric issue when there really is, you know, a, a physiologic imbalance that needs to be addressed. So I agree. I, I think the best part of COVID, if you can say that, is that I think it's going to raise awareness for, you know, these multiple chemical sensitivity patients for these chronic tick-borne illness patients for mass cell activation, all of these different inflammatory disorders that are caused by either toxins or infections, I think we can start to look at them and get appreciation for them from a different light. And I'm, and I'm hoping that that's exactly what happened. And I think, I think it is. I think people are starting to catch on. Yeah, I think they are too. I think they are too. And, it, you know, of course, and for you and for me and every, everybody in the healthcare field, or, or at least who, who know about this, you know, it couldn't happen fast enough. <laughs> like, Right, exactly. And so what kind yeah. of research have you done on your program? Have you been able to get some studies at all? Yeah, we're still waiting for studies to be actually peer reviewed and published. But there are a couple that we were working on. One was with McMaster University, and this happened prior to COVID. And I think that the it just got buried under COVID, honestly. So we did do some observational research with McMaster. And we also are hoping to do more research with the Karolinska Institute. So after awesome. those three initial patients that they, they saw recovered so dramatically, they were yeah. like, Annie, can, can you provide support for other people? We'd like to get a group of 28 people 
who are suffering from long COVID and POTS and we can find a control group. Can we look at 28 people and, and compare them to a control group? I'm like, absolutely. So we did that. We provided the program and six months of ongoing weekly support for this group of people. And the results are going to be presented in a manuscript along with the stories of the three initial patients that recovered. And I can't say that it's been published yet. In fact, I, right, right. I don't no, think, I don't think it's been published yet. Yeah. So yeah. And piggybacking on the research again from McMaster University, this was prior to COVID. And we were looking at, you know, does this neuroplasticity-based treatment, DNRS, work for people with chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, and chemical sensitivities, just looking at those three specific conditions. But you know, as well as I do, that it's rare that anybody just comes to the table with one condition, right? right? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Usually people have a variety of different oh, things yeah. going on, right? So Absolutely. anyway, with that study, they measured quality of life. We did measurements with the Cook Environmental Exposure and Sensitivity Inventory, the Queasy, which measures, you know, whether a person meets the criteria for diagnosis of chemical intolerance. We looked at this symptom impact questionnaire, which measures symptoms of pain, the fatigue severity scale, the generalized anxiety disorder questionnaire, and the PHQ-9, which measures symptoms of depression. So, you know, what with that group specifically, we asked, you know, so what what are the conditions that you've been diagnosed with or that you think you have? And yeah. there are tons of them, but the top 14 were this. It was multiple chemical sensitivities, chronic fatigue, neurological disorders, chronic inflammatory response syndrome or mold toxicity, anxiety disorders, chronic Lyme disease, depressive mood disorder, food allergies and sensitivities, fibromyalgia, migraines and headaches, adrenal insufficiency, body pain and chronic pain, PTSD and irritable bowel syndrome. And that's where, that's where that was just a top four. Just a few. <laughs> just a few. I mean, but if, 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 if we would have had COVID back then, long COVID would be. In oh, there yeah. Too, right. So, Absolutely. Yeah. So they noticed improvements across the board with symptoms, you know, quality of life and fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, anxiety, depression, and MCS. And those actual that the, the research from that study is actually on our website. So awesome. if people want to know more about that study, they can look at retrainingthebrain.com. And I think it's under the link research. So awesome. Yeah. So that was my next comment is like, so for people who are interested in, in, in starting your program, is that the best way to get in touch with you or to, to look, get more information is on your website or are there other yeah, resources you have? Yeah. On our website, it's uh, retrainingthebrain.com. And yeah, anything, you know, from getting the, buying the program to our support services to research that's already out, the science behind the program, it has a lot of information. Taking the self-assessment surveys, they're wondering, does this, you know, do I think that the program will work for me? So a lot of information is on our website and they can absolutely get started today if they want to. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, that's great. Well, this has been so amazing. And I just, again, I really appreciate all the work that you've put in. I can't even imagine the number of people you've helped with your program. And uh, one of the you know, big things I, I hope our listeners will take out of this is just how effective this can be and how much of their life they can reclaim by addressing their their limbic system. And the big thing is, it's just to do it. I mean, people just need to mm -hmm. jump on board and make it happen. Not to talk about financial aspect of this, but this is a very affordable program. 
When people are people are dealing with chronic issues and chronic disease, I mean, they're spending thousands upon thousands of dollars. And so you can get started with your program for just a few hundred bucks and it it can really change people's lives. So, you know, thank you for making it accessible and affordable. And uh, I, I, th- I just, I'm, it's such a pleasure to be able to, to recommend this to, to people that we work with. I always like to end the podcast with a health tip for our listeners. Is there anything specific that you could offer just off the top of your head that everybody can implement to try to take their health to another level? Yeah, that's a really good question. Really good question. It's like, well, without actually doing the program, what would I recommend? <laughs> I think, I think especially in this day and age, it's so easy for us to be focused on what's not going well. Because face it, we're living in uncertain times. There's a lot of unknowns. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of stress in a lot of mm. aspects of life. So one way to really kind of counter that is to start focusing on what you can appreciate and feel gratitude for around you. So it doesn't mean that your life has to be perfect by any means, shape or form, but how you can start to savor the goodness. And what I would like to say to people is try to be present to the goodness of life that's around you and savor it as much as we can, because we really need to offset our negativity bias with goodness to keep the brain in a healthy and relaxed state. And, you know, this practice can look really, really simple. For example, when you're drinking your morning cup of coffee or your special tea, you want to really savor that moment. You can take some time to just feel the warm cup in your hand and enjoy your surroundings. Find the beauty around you and just breathe it in. What do you see in this moment? What do you hear in this moment? What do you smell? What do you taste? What do you feel? And use your senses to drink in the beauty that's around you in any given moment. You know, perhaps you want to listen to some inspiring music when you wake up to get you to feel motivated and positive about your day. And finding, find something to feel grateful for. Because when you express and receive gratitude, it actually releases dopamine and serotonin. And these mood-enhancing chemicals make you feel good in the moment, but they also help to strengthen neural pathways that lead to feeling more positive overall. And the more you practice gratitude, the more grateful you will naturally become, and your brain will actually eventually become wired to naturally take in the good. So that would be my advice to everyone is just to slow down and take some time to notice the beauty around you and to savor it as much as you can. That is amazing advice. And I think something we can all benefit from. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, great, Annie. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast again. This has been absolutely amazing. And I know you're busy. So thanks for taking the time out of your schedule. And I'm just looking forward to spreading the word and, you know, getting more people to, to take part in this amazing program you developed. Oh, thanks so much, Seth. And I just wanted to say before we end, you know, it's not just me. I have an amazing team of people that support this. And, you know, I, I can only do so much alone. It's about having this team of people who are supporting us and moving forward. And thank you for being a part of that team. Thank you for all that you do and helping so many people. You know, the world needs more people like you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, have an amazing week. And again, I hope to talk to you again soon. 
Yes, I look forward to it. Take care. Bye. Thank you so much for listening, guys. I'm Dr. Seth Osgood, the founder of Grassroots Functional Medicine. Don't forget, you can join the Grassroots private Facebook group to connect with fellow health seekers and find practical tips to improve your state of wellness. Just search Grassroots Community on Facebook to join. And if you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, and you're looking for a comprehensive program to reclaim your state of wellness with cutting-edge testing, a team of providers to hold you accountable, and a structured plan of action to not only get you well, but to keep you well in the years to come, check out our adaptation programs online at grassrootsfunctionalmedicine.com. Thanks again for listening, and have a blessed day.